Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So today we are wrapping up our series. Uh, we've been in a collection of talks, uh, sermons uh, called Yesterday, Today, and Forever, where we've been looking at some attributes of God, what Christians believe God is like, and uh, and what that could mean for our lives, right? Why, what, um, how, who God is actually affects how we live. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series. And, and we said that that's a big deal because uh, really what we think about when we think about God, it does affect our lives. It affects more than just our personal faith. It actually affects how we see ourselves, how we view and treat others. And it affects how we view our situations and circumstances and how we walk through this crazy thing that we call Life, And so that's why uh, we've thought that this was a big enough deal for us to talk about uh, for the, the past few weeks. And over the course of this series, what we've, what we've mentioned and what we've looked at is that as Christians looking at the Old and the New Testament together, uh, looking at, at the testimonies of people uh, who have encountered God and spent time with Jesus face to face, what, we, what we've learned is that there are some things uh, that are true about God or that Christians believe are true about God. And, and so three of those uh, that we've gone through or two of those, and the third one will be today. Uh, the first one that we looked at a couple weeks ago at the beginning of the series was, uh, was God's faithfulness. We said that God is, he's, he's faithful, meaning that he is trustworthy. Uh, he is someone that you can count on. You can rely on him. He doesn't fail or forsake or forget, right? He, if he said it, uh, you can count on on it, if he promised it, he's going to come through. And so we said uh, that when we look back at his past provision, it helps us to trust in his future faithfulness. And when we know that God is going to be faithful, then uh, when life becomes uncertain or shaky, we don't have to fear or fret because we know our God is faithful. And then the next week, last week, we, we take a look at this sermon right here where we said uh, that God is also good. We looked at God's goodness together. And, uh, and if you weren't here last week, uh, I'll just be honest with you. Like, if, like what we looked at was how can God be good when things are bad? And, and if that's something that you've wrestled with or that you're curious about, or if you are currently right now in a difficult time and you are struggling and wondering how can God be good when things are so bad, I just wanna encourage you, go back and listen to that talk. Um, and because we believe that that would be helpful and, and I hope that it will bless you and help you as you're wrestling through some of those things. So I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but what we learned last week is that life is hard because it's been broken by sin. And so things in this world are broken and busted. So pain and problems are inevitable, but the, uh, the presence of pain and problems is not, uh, is not evidence against God's goodness right? That God is good even when things are not. And he reveals his goodness, not in the absence of our pain and problems, but right in the middle of our pain and our problems. And he reveals his goodness, right? By bringing purpose 
out of our pain and our problems. He reveals his goodness uh, by being present with us in our pain and our problems. And he reveals his goodness uh, by promising us that ultimately that our pain and our problems will not be permanent. He will bring an end. There will be a day where he will come and he will redeem and he will restore and he will make all things new and he will bring an end to the pain and the problems of our world. And so that was, that was last week, his goodness. And when we trust in his goodness, it gives us a different kind of endurance and perseverance that we can walk through life with. And this week, we're gonna be wrapping up the series and we're gonna take a look at uh, this last attribute of God. Again, these aren't the only attributes of God, but these are the three that we're talking about, some three things that we can always count on when it comes to God. And so today we're gonna be talking about God's mercy. We're gonna be talking about God's mercy. Now, uh, Webster's Dictionary defines mercy, right, as forgiveness or compassion towards someone uh, when it is within your power to punish them, right, or to do them harm. And so essentially, you could, you could think about mercy this way, is mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve. That would be mercy. Now we'll define a couple other terms that are often lumped in when you talk about mercy. Uh, One of those is justice, right? Justice is getting what you deserve in the form of punishment. And then there's this other word that often gets used synonymously with mercy and that's grace. Grace is getting a gift that you didn't deserve, right? So you get a gift that you didn't deserve, that's grace. And then mercy though, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Deserve And what you see all throughout the scriptures, you guys, Old Testament and new. Yes, the Old Testament. And I know sometimes that God, like, God gets a bad rap in the Old Testament. People read the Old Testament and they go, God wasn't merciful. That's a God of wrath. And the God of the New Testament, he's the God of mercy, but he's the same. As a matter of fact, God's mercy, if you go back and you look, is actually mentioned four times as much in the Old Testament as it is in the New And so all throughout uh, the scriptures, what you see is that when people thought about who God is and what God is like, one of the words that they use to describe him again and again and again is that he is abounding in, he is rich in, he is full of, he is overflowing with mercy. He's, He's a merciful God. And now this morning, uh, if you're anything like me, uh, I like to see, in order for me to understand how something that's true about God actually affects my own life, I like to see the attributes in action, right? Like I need to see it in action. So wait, so how does, how does God's mercy actually affect me in my life? And what does it mean for how I live and treat others? I need to see the attribute in action. And if you need to see God's attributes in action, then the great, a great place to go are the gospels. A great place to go to see God's attributes in action is to go to the gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And the reason why those are a great place to go and see the attributes of God in action in the grittiness and the realness of life. The reason why uh, those are a great place to go is because while he was on the earth, Jesus would say things like, if you've seen me, you've seen God. God bless you. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Like, I, like, like I'm, I'm actually God in human form. And so if you look at me, then you see the Father. I and the Father are one, right? And so Jesus would teach, hey, if you've, if you've seen me, you've seen God. As a matter of fact, John, one of Jesus's best friends, someone who began following Jesus as a teenager and then witnessed his life and his death and his resurrection later as an old man writes down. And when he was thinking about Jesus and what Jesus came to do and what he witnessed in Jesus, he said, no one's seen God. 
except for the son who is God and who is in closest relationship with the father. He says, he has made him known. This is John 1, 18. You can go read it for yourself. And that word, that, that word that they use for he has made him known is the word exegete, which means to bring out. Jesus has literally brought God out into the visible world. He goes, if you wanna see God's attributes in action, go look at the gospels. So if you wanna know what God is like and you wanna see his attributes in action and what they look like in real life and what they might mean for your life, go check out the gospels. Go watch the life of Jesus. So this morning, we're looking and we're talking about this attribute of God's mercy. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at one of the stories from Jesus's life. And we're going to see God's mercy in action. And hopefully as we look at this story, we're going to learn what God's mercy looks like in our lives and what it could mean for the way that we're living each and every day. And so the story that we're looking at, you guys, <clears throat> it comes in John chapter eight. And this is starting in verse two. And so this is, this is what it says. It says, at dawn, he being Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman caught in adultery. Now this woman is caught in the act, right? That's, that's what this word that they're like, she, so this wasn't, she wasn't rumored to be, she wasn't suspected of, right? Like this wasn't like a few of the girls at the tennis courts with their white claws, like talking about this lady. This is like, this is like, uh, I know too close to home. Some of you are like, whoa. And so <laughs> this is like, she's caught in the act. She's caught red handed. Have you ever been caught doing something that, uh, that you know you shouldn't have been doing? You ever been caught? It's like a terrible feeling, isn't it? I remember I was in, uh, I was in middle school and, uh, and we were down in Florida visiting my family and, uh, and, and my brother and I and my two cousins, we were, we were doing like, we, so we're middle school and, and elementary school, so we're young and, and we're looking for something to do. And you know, when like you go down to visit family um, back before kids were like birthed with devices in their hands, you know what I mean? Like uh, when you actually had to find something to do because your parents were visiting, you know what I mean? Like, like the parents would be like, we're visiting right now, like go and do something. And you were like, can we go to the beach? Can we go to the pool? Can we go to the mall? And they're like, no, entertain yourselves, right? And so we're looking for something to do and we're in the backyard at my, at my aunt and uncle's house and, and we find our, our way to uh, the tool shed. And so we get into, oh, this gets so bad. And so some of you are chuckling just at the tool shed, just wait until that, yeah. So, so we find our way to the tool shed and we get in there and I proceed to find in this tool shed a crowbar. And it's not just any crowbar. This is not like a small, like, like breaking and entering crowbar. This is like a big boy. It's like a staff. It's like a metal staff with a hook on the end. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So I get the crowbar. Then my brother's finding stuff. He finds a hatchet. He's like, yeah. My cousin, he finds a machete. He's like, what? And we're like, whoa, we have an arsenal. This is incredible. We're out there trying our ninja moves, you know, out in the back. Parents are still visiting, you know. And so we're trying, and, and, and you know, like there, there comes a point where, where you've gotta, you've gotta use these skills. You know what I mean? And so we've got these weapons and we're like, I gotta, I, I have gotta hit something. Uh, and I'm like, this is weighty. So I'm not gonna hit my brother. Although I'm like, maybe, you know, but 
I'm like, we gotta, we gotta break something with this stuff. Like we gotta find something. What can we destroy, right? So, you know, we hit a couple trees. That's not that fun because they don't break. You know, you're like, and so like, what are we gonna, what are we gonna break with these things? My cousin goes, I got a great idea. He goes, my neighbor has a boat. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I said the same thing. I was like, dude, we can't break his boat. It's illegal. And then, uh, and then he goes, no, 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 get this. He's actually got two boats. And this other boat, he never uses it. He was like, he never used, it just sits in his backyard. It's got like grime and dust and dirt all over it. He never uses this boat. He always uses the other boat and he always takes that out. And so he's got this big boat. And sure enough, we go and we look next door in the backyard and there it is. There's this huge, it's like a deep sea fishing boat. And it's got moss and kind of stuff on it. It's been sitting there for a while. It hasn't been used. And so we're like, oh man, he probably won't even know. So my cousin, myself, my brother, we're like, all right, let's just go see if we find something, you know? So we go and we get in the boat and we're looking around. What's something I can just, you know? I'm like, yes, I gotta use this thing. And my cousin just all of a sudden, we're looking around for something to break. And my cousin just takes the machete and just, and just right on the seat, the foam comes out of the seat. And I was like, that was awesome. And so we proceed to go banana sandwich on this boat. We're, I mean, we're just, we are like, this is the most hoodlum thing I've ever done in my whole life, guys. Uh, we're destroying this. I mean, we're breaking the gauges, the glass. We're, we're ripping things up. We're tearing these seats apart. I mean, we're, we're trashing this boat, right? Now, I guess we'd been, uh, we'd been out there for a while uh, because our parents started to notice, you know, as a parent, when, when things have been quiet too long, your kids are not enjoying one another. They're doing something terrible. You know what I mean? That's what's happening. And so we're, I guess the parents decided like, okay, it's been quiet too long. We gotta go figure it out. So they go looking for us. And my mom, sure enough, she gets out there and she's like, boys, where are you? You know, she's calling for us. And at that point we're like, oh no. So we lay down in the boat. Maybe if we don't move, she won't find us. Now she's calling and she's like, if you guys don't get in here, you're gonna be in big trouble. And we're like, we're already in big trouble, you know? Like, and so now we're laying down the boat. We're like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? She's making her way around. She's, now they're starting to get worried. They're wondering if we've been kidnapped. Finally, we've, we're caught, y'all. We have to stand up. We stand up. My mom sees me holding the staff of destiny and she's like, what is going on? And so now we realize we're caught and, and I am just terrified caught red-handed, no getting out of it, no denying it. My mom, she calls my dad, which is even more terrifying. Parents come out, my aunt and uncle come out. They're looking at the damage. They're freaking out because they know what we've just done. And now it's just, it's an awful situation. We're, we're afraid. We know we're gonna have to go tell this guy. My parents proceed to make us tell this guy. He's furious, understandably. We're weeping. My parents are like, we're gonna continue talking to this guy to figure out what we need to do. And so they send us inside. They put us in separate rooms, you know, like, cause they're gonna interrogate us later. And so, so they've got us in separate rooms and while you're in the room and you've been caught and you're waiting for your punishment, you're just sitting there. We're just sitting there and we're just imagining. I'm, I'm telling myself, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did this. This is so dumb. What was I thinking? My life is over. My parents are never gonna trust me. You know what it's like when you get caught. Now, maybe you've never vandalized somebody's boat, but like, 
You know what it's like, right? When you've been caught doing something wrong and now all of a sudden all those, uh, those, that shame and that guilt is talking to you and you're wondering how you're ever gonna bounce back and how you're ever gonna move forward, if things will ever be the same, it's, ter- it's a terrible feeling. When all of a sudden your sin and your guilt gets exposed and you're caught, it's a bad feeling. It's actually, that's actually the reason why so many of us, some of you this morning, it's the reason why you work so hard to keep your sin and your guilt covered up. It's the reason why some of you continue to keep it hidden in the shadows and you deny it and you don't wanna confront it and you don't wanna confess it because you are afraid of getting found out because you are afraid of what the consequences might be. You are afraid of the embarrassment. You are afraid of of the loss of trust. You are afraid of the shame. You are afraid of what it's gonna cost. And so you keep it concealed and you keep it hidden in the shadows and you keep it in the dark. But what this woman is learning is something that all of us need to learn. And that is, listen, you can, you can conceal your sin, but only for so long. It always comes out. And confessing your sin, confessing to somebody, I'm not talking about to a priest, right? I'm saying like confessing your sin to somebody else, to God himself or to a trusted friend or to a counselor or to the person that you've hurt, confessing your sin, it will cost you something, but concealing it might cost you everything. And I know it's scary. And I know it, 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 it feels like so much shame, but concealing that sin could cost you everything. And it always, this woman is learning it right now. It always eventually comes out. Nothing done in the dark stays in the dark, you guys. It always comes out and it comes out either through you confessing it to somebody or you getting caught, always. It always comes out. And that's what's happening right here. She's been caught in the act and now she's awaiting her punishment. And it's terrifying. She knows her life is over and not figuratively, literally. Because look what it says. It says, they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So she's like, my life is over. That's the punishment. Literally, I am going to die. Now, what do you say? Now, to be fair, what the law of Moses actually said is that both parties, because it takes two to tango, uh, both parties should be stoned to death. But um, apparently when you're the people in power, often as often is true, the people in power think it's, their right to interpret the rules how they want in a way that benefits them. That's another sermon for another day. But these guys have only brought her, but they said, hey, she's guilty. She deserves punishment. She's done wrong. And the law says we should judge her and condemn her. Jesus, what do you say? And isn't it funny, you guys, that we always want justice for other people's sins, don't we? We always want justice for other people's sins, but we want mercy for our own, right? And you know this is true. This is, I mean, I know I can confess it. 
right? Because when one of you speeds past me on PIB, you know what I'm doing? I am praying to the Lord in heaven that you get a ticket because you are going past, or when you zip down more road going 50 and it's a 35, I'm praying, Lord, if you are just, would you let them get pulled over and get a double fine in the name of Jesus for them speeding through here? You know what I mean? Like I am praying you get caught, you know what I mean? But when I get pulled over, you know what I want? Mercy, come on now, right? I'm, th- I'm trying to think like, gosh, like, am I gonna drop the pastor card? I'm a pastor, I'm on my way to the uh, funeral. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of something, right? I'm trying to think of something to get out of it, right? And, and as a guy, you can't conjure up tears because that only makes you look guilty, right? Like, like girls, you can conjure up tears and you might get off. If I conjure up tears, I'm getting searched. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, oh, right? So you can't get out of it, right? And, and, and so... You know, it's, it's true though. That's what's happening in this situation. She's guilty. She deserves it, right? And these guys are demanding justice because we always want justice for somebody else's sin and we want mercy for ours. And they're like, Jesus, what do you say? You're gonna judge her, right? You're gonna condemn her, right? You're not letting her off the hook, right? We've seen you try to show grace and mercy before, but you're gonna get her, right? Like she's caught in the act. There's no getting around this one, Jesus. You're gonna judge her. For years, you guys, this is what I thought God was like. For years in my life growing up, this is what I thought God was like. And it was probably because a lot of the Christians that I'd met, this is how they acted. Self-righteous and judgmental. I can remember one time, you guys, I was in high school, a senior in high school. I will never forget this. I went to the youth group. And I was trying to turn my life around and I was looking for a fresh start. I had gotten a lot of, in a lot of trouble my junior year of high school. And so my senior year, I was trying to make some different, different choices. And I showed up at youth group and there was a girl welcoming and writing people's names on little name tags. Welcome to youth fellowship, hello. You know what I mean? And as I walked up and it was my turn to get a name tag, she said, why are you here? She knew my reputation from school. And instead of greeting me the way she greeted everybody else, she said, why are you here? And it confirmed all my fears that because of things that I'd done, that the only thing I was ever gonna experience from God was judgment and condemnation and rejection. And so for years, you guys, I spent my time avoiding God, expecting that this is how he was gonna treat me. Judgment, condemnation. So what do you say, Jesus? Now, it says that they were using these questions this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. So these guys don't even care about what's gonna happen to this lady. What they're trying to do is they're trying to trap Jesus. And so they're coming to Jesus and they're basically posing this question because they know that either way he answers it, he's stuck like Chuck, right? So it, like, like what, they're, what they're looking at is they're going like, look, if, if right now, if, if Jesus says to let her off the hook, then he's not just and he's denying God's justice. But if he, if he says stone her, then he's denying mercy. And this message that he's preached, that if you come to him, uh, then you can be forgiven. Uh, like then that, all that goes out the window. And so they're like, look, if he, if, he gives, if he gives justice, he denies mercy. If he gives mercy, he denies justice. We've got him. It's actually pretty slick. They gotta be high-fiving each other at this point, right? Caiaphas, what's up, right? Like we got him. That's what they're thinking. We got him. We finally got him. We're gonna have grounds. No matter how he answers this, he's gonna be in the wrong and we're gonna get him one way or the other. He's either not gonna be just or he's not gonna be merciful, but we've got him either way. It's a pretty slick plan, which is why what, make, what Jesus does next is so brilliant, you guys. 
and it's so beautiful. It's too brilliant and too beautiful for a bunch of fishermen to have sat around and made it up. It's so powerful. Look at what Jesus does next. It says, but Jesus, Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. This is a weird response of Jesus, right? Uh, like on the surface, cause you're like, man, the situation is tense. People are hurling accusations. This woman is standing there probably naked or half naked, right? And, and, and so that's the first time some of you paid attention. And so <clears throat> it's, it's tense. This is a tense situation. Right? She's standing there in the middle. People are hurling accusations, wondering what Jesus is gonna do. The tensions are high. Her shame and embarrassment is at an all-time high. You can't imagine, like, I mean, it's just, it's wild. And in the middle of all of that, while everything is at its, like, peak craziness, Jesus bends down and he starts to write on the ground, doodling in the dirt. Like, what? The question we all wanna know is, like, well, what was he, what was he writing? And if you've heard you know, this passage preached on before, you know that what a lot of theologians believe is that what Jesus was writing is that he was either writing the 10 commandments. So he's writing down the laws or he was writing their sins, the sins of the people who are hurling the accusations. He's just writing. Can you imagine that, right? Like that's tense. Like, Brian, you did that? You know what I mean? Like he's writing these things down. And the reason why theologians believe that and why we have strong evidence to believe that that's, that that's true, that he was writing one of those things down is because the word that he uses right there, to write, to write on the ground, like to write, it's, there's, there's a couple different words in the Greek and the word that they use right there means to write against. And so what we know is that whatever Jesus was writing on the ground, he meant it against them, right? As, as in like, like, hey, they were not gonna like what he was writing on the ground. And so he's, he's writing on the ground, probably writing their sins. They don't catch it because they keep on questioning him. They keep questioning him, Jesus, what are you gonna do? You're gonna judge her? Like, what, what's it gonna be? Jesus straightens up and he says to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote, on the ground. So they keep questioning him. And Jesus says, all right, you're right. She's guilty. She deserves it. She deserves justice. Penalty is warranted. Punishment is warranted. And so Jesus stands up and he goes, all right, so I've got an idea. Let's dole out the punishment. And he says, so here's how we're gonna do it. Let's let the person without sin be the one that casts the first stone. Now, this is, this is even more powerful when you understand that when Jesus says without sin, he's not just talking about let the person who's never done anything wrong, the word used there for without sin doesn't mean that you haven't, just that you haven't done anything wrong, but it's that you didn't want to either. So Jesus is going, hey, let the person who not only has never done anything wrong, but let's let the person who never even wanted to do anything wrong. Have you ever just wanted to do something wrong? I mean, come on, right? Like you didn't do it, but you wanted to. I have yesterday. Um, <laughs> I promise, I promise. Yesterday, right? At my daughter's soccer game, right? These nine-year-olds, there were some parents, y'all. 
and they were going crazy. And it's one thing to cheer for your kid. You should cheer for your kid and they should know that you are their biggest fan. It's another thing to cheer against somebody else's. And if that's you, allow the Holy Spirit to appropriately convict you to knock it off. (laughs) I might even say, grow up. Because these parents were cheering against these other nine-year-old girls and it was getting like ridiculous. It was like, whoa, like, like to the point where at one point uh, the, the forward for the other team and the goalie from our team run out and they collide. And it's, it's kind of like, oh man. And, and both girls are kind of crying, but the one girl, the goalie, she's like holding her arm and she's crying. And this dad is like, yeah, that's right, show them. And I'm like, what? She's nine. She's hurting and you're rooting against her. And I sat there in my little camping chair, gripping to the sides. <laughs> and y'all, everything in me, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to get up, walk down there and go, excuse me, what's your, I just like get him right in the chest, you know? And just, right? Like that's what I wanted to do, right? I've been a man longer than I've been a pastor, okay? <laughs> Sanctification is a process, okay? So, so that's what I wanted to do, right? And then I, as I was you know, playing that whole image in my head and how good that would feel, right? I also was picturing what the headlines would read, you know what I mean? Like, Gwinnett Church pastor arrested for assault pummeling dude at the, you know, <sighs> right? And so, and so I didn't, but I wanted to, right? You ever wanted to? We all have. We've all wanted to. And Jesus says, hey, the desire and the action, they come from the same broken place. They come from the same sinful heart. And so Jesus says, let the person who never did it and never wanted to do it, he says, you can be the one that casts the first stone. Jesus is pointing something really, really important out to these people, you guys. Jesus is pointing out that we all deserve judgment and we all need mercy. We all deserve judgment and we all need mercy. And the point that he's making here is, is that people who need mercy should show mercy. People that need mercy should show mercy. He has deftly pointed out their hypocrisy. And he has shown, you cannot demand justice for others, but desire mercy for your own. It does not work like that. So Jesus says, okay, I got an idea. I'm gonna throw the first stone. If you've never done anything or wanted to do anything, if you don't need mercy, you can deal the justice. At this, I think this is funny. At this, those who heard began to walk away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Like the older folks in the crowd, they can see, they're like, I do not like where this is going. It's probably because they got a longer track record. You know what I mean? And they're like, I don't wanna see what happens when he gets to me. And so they begin to walk away because they can see where this is going. It's the wisdom of years. Honestly, y'all, sometimes like, listen, but my older folks with a little bit more life and a little bit more gray hair or a little bit less hair, we need you in the church. You've got some wisdom. You can see some things. You've learned some things. You've walked through some things. And the older ones, they know, they know what's going down first. I would imagine probably some of them have to grab the younger ones. 
Like, come on. He already wrote your name down. That's terrible. You know what I mean? <laughs> we gotta get out of here, you know? So the older ones, they go first. They're dropping their rocks. They're walking away. And Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So the crowd is dispersed. You gotta imagine Jesus, this woman, bunch of rocks on the ground. And Jesus is there. It says that Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Neither do I condemn you. Now, y'all, make no mistake. She deserved punishment. She was wrong. She was caught in the act. There was no denying it. Her sin deserved justice, yes? But Jesus shows us something here and that's why it makes what Jesus does here so beautiful is that she deserved it. And yet Jesus reveals to us here that God is rich in mercy and he gives her something that she does not deserve. And she doesn't give her what she does deserve. He gives her in this moment grace and mercy. And what makes it so powerful though, is that she did deserve it, you guys. Mercy is only sweet to those who know how bitter their sin is. Mercy is only a gift to those who deserve judgment. And so we must recognize our own need for it in order to fully appreciate and embrace it. This woman, she deserves it. And yet Jesus, he gives her mercy. He withholds the punishment that she deserves. And he reveals to us in his life that God is in fact merciful, rich in mercy, abounding in love. We deserve punishment because we've all sinned and fallen short, but God is rich in mercy and gives us that gift of forgiveness and compassion instead. Y'all, I wish I would have known this as a younger man. I wish I would have known this before, before spending half my life running from God, expecting condemnation and judgment and rejection. I wish I would have known about his mercy because then I wouldn't have run from him for so long, heaping more guilt, more shame and more judgment on myself. I wish I would have known this because if I would have known this, if I would have known about the mercy of God, I would have run to him instead of running from him. And so hear me today, church. If you've been running from God, if you've been hiding from him, if you've been, if you've been living with your own sin and shame in the shadows because you think that his heart towards you is judgment and condemnation and rejection, if you've been fearing what God would do if he really found out what was going on in your life, if you've been running and hiding from him, let this woman's story be a reminder today that our God is rich in mercy, abounding in love. He is full of compassion and he is quick to forgive. That's who our God is. That's his character. It's not just the mood he was in that day. It's what you can expect from him all the time. And so if you would but come to him with all of your mess, with all of your brokenness, with all of your sin, with all of your shame, what you can expect to receive from him is mercy 
It's mercy. And this is so powerful because watch how Jesus closes it out. The interaction ends and he says, go now and leave your life of sin. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Now, she didn't do anything to get mercy because you can't do anything to get mercy. Otherwise it wouldn't be mercy. So she didn't earn it. She certainly didn't deserve it. Much like us, we don't earn it. We can't deserve it, but we can only receive it. And so she receives this gift of mercy, right? And, and the truth is, is that while we can't earn it and we don't deserve it and we don't behave our way into mercy, mercy though, you guys, when we encounter it and when we receive it, it is never without result. Mercy, mercy will always meet you where you are, but it will never leave you there. Mercy will always meet you where you are. You do not have to change to get in on God's mercy, but change will always result from it, always. And so Jesus says to her, he says, go now, leave your life of sin. And he's not scolding her, hear him correctly. He's sending her because mercy is not passive and it is not pitiful. Mercy is powerful and it is progressive. And I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about in the truest sense of the word, mercy is progressive. It launches us forward into progress and into a new and better way of life. This is the power of the mercy of God when we receive it. And so Jesus says to this woman, he says, I'm giving you mercy. You deserve judgment, but my character is that I want to give you mercy. And so I'm forgiving your sins. So now get up and go a new direction. Go a new way, live a different kind of life. Leave that old dead way of living. Leave that sin that got you standing here naked in the middle of this crowd. Leave that way behind and go a new direction. Mercy, you guys, it's the power to get up and to learn and to turn and to grow from our failures and our faults and our sins and our shortcomings. This is the power of mercy in our own lives when we receive it and when we embrace it from God. Now, some of you will say, well, where is the justice? Where's the justice? Because she certainly deserved it and sin deserves punishment. So where is the justice? Like, is God not just? Does he not punish sin? Because I know that there are some sins in the world that God needs to punish. And so where is the justice in this? That's a good question. That's a fair question. And the truth is that the justice, it's not present here. It shows up 11 chapters later. It shows up 11 chapters later when Jesus, an innocent one, the only innocent man, the only one that day, you guys, who could have dropped, who could have thrown a rock, but he stayed his hand. Jesus, an innocent man, is betrayed, condemned, and crucified. And it's his death that pays for our sin. And that, you guys, that is where God actually reveals his justice, right? The justice of God demands that sin be paid for. It demands that sin be paid for, but his mercy says, not on you, I'll pay for it. 
The reason why God can give that woman mercy and the reason why God can give you mercy whenever you run to him and turn to him and come to him, the reason why he can give you mercy is because somebody paid for that sin. And it was Jesus on the cross. That's why the Christian message is called good news. It's called good news because God holds his justice in paying for our sin and doesn't demand that you pay for it. He pays for it instead so that whenever you come to him, what you can expect to receive is mercy. That's the good news of the gospel, that our God is just, but he is merciful and his mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? So the mercy of God, our God is merciful. And what does that mean for our lives? The mercy of God means that when you fail and fall short, you can run to him instead of running from him. And when you run from him, no matter what you're dealing with, with all of your mess, with all of your sins, with all of your secrets, with all of your shame, if you would run to him, what you can expect to receive is mercy. What the mercy of God means for each and every one of us is that when we fail and fall short, we can turn to him and we can run to him. We don't have to run from him and hide. And what the mercy of God means for us also is that as those who want mercy and have received mercy, we ought to extend mercy. When we encounter the mercy of God, it causes us to examine the rocks we've been holding and to leave them in their place because You cannot withhold from others what you did not earn yourself. And so when you get a glimpse of the mercy of God, you run to him, but you also let it flow through you. When you get a glimpse of God's mercy, you become someone that extends mercy and you drop rocks and you point less fingers and you extend more helping hands, helping people to get up and to go a new direction. This is what the mercy of God means for our lives. So church, I pray, oh, I pray. I've been praying all week that we would know and show the mercy of God. What is God like? And what does it mean for our lives? Mm. He's faithful. So when things are uncertain, we can trust in him. He's good. So when things are not, we can lean on him. He is merciful. So when we fail and fall short, we can run to him and we can invite others to do the same. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We thank you this morning for your mercy. Thank you that while we because of our sin and our failures and our faults, we deserve judgment, but you love us and you are abounding in mercy. You are rich in mercy. So we can come to you and that's what we can expect. Thank you that as the apostle Paul wrote, you have made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. What a gift, what a savior. Help us to trust in that. For those of us that have been living in hiding, concealing our sin, help us to run to you today. For those of us that have been holding a rock towards a brother or a sister, help us to leave that here today and to extend the mercy that we hope to receive in our own lives. Father, we love you. We trust you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.